I'm really just here to drink while you talk. Okay. Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Wendy Bowlesby and Melissa Kirscher. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I am one of your co-hosts. My name is Wendy, and my other co-host is in Minneapolis, so far away, oh, a thousand miles, so far, but through the magic of technology, she is right here. She is Melissa. Melissa, I'm right here. <laughs> and we are joined tonight by a special guest star collaborator, and that would be Paul. Say hi, Paul. Hello, world. Oh, wrong podcast. Oh, that's a flashback. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, Paul Camo used to be on The Geek Life with me when The Geek Life was still a thing. Yes. Back yes. In the day. Way, way back when. So it's it's kind of like a half reunion because yeah, we half have reunion. half our people. To heck with Mike and Rich. <laughs> and fest. <laughs> to heck. Wherever to heck. heck is, may they go there. Off to heck with you. Hopefully um, they have so good drinks there. <laughs> so, listeners, uh, I am uh, drinking one of my favorite shitty wines, Lambrusco. Like you can, you can buy a great big bottle for eight dollars, and it's it's carbonated wine cola. Like yeah. it really is. It's just Ooh. wine soda. Yeah. Common at all the Polish relative get-togethers. <laughs> <sighs> this was my gateway wine into red wines. Oh, really? By my friends Dan and Amy. I only yeah. ever drank white wines because red wines were too harsh to my very undeveloped palate. This was back before I had ever tasted whiskey, BT dubs. Um, <laughs> and uh, we went out to we went out to the Outback. Yes, it was. It was the Outback. And they're like, "You should try Lambrusco." I'm like, "I don't like red wine." They're like, "Try this one. I bet you'll like it. Just have a sip." And now, of course, I am. I have a red wine drinking problem. Yeah, we all know it. <laughs> <laughs> What are what are all y'all drinking in Minnesota? Well, Paul brought a gift, being mm. a pre-prohibition cocktail yes. book, and then he mixed me a gin cocktail. They did not have fancy names back then. Yes, it's just a gin cocktail. And and if you strain it's it, it's the improved gin cocktail. <laughs> you know, the, the, if more things were strained, they would be improved. The the trick to this, and it's thanks to another Mike that we know finding this out is uh, pre-prohibition cocktails are doable now because there are people who are now making something called Old Tom Gin, which is a style of gin that falls flavor profile-wise between London Dry and Geneva. So it's sweeter than London Dry, but not super sweet like a Geneva. So you can do all these old cocktails. And this is an aged uh, Old Tom Gin. Ooh, it's so, very tasty. Hence, hence the color. Mm -hmm. The yeah. idea being that the older recipes, if you try to make them with modern gin, the flavors are off. Flavors are off. And right. when they say wine glass, they mean two ounces, not four ounces. Yeah. Oh, dear God, please. Yeah. They're, <laughs> uh, old cocktails are tiny, tiny little things. Yes. They didn't drink as much then. They didn't well, drink as much in the Prohibition as I thought they did. No, to quote uh, Nora of Nicanora, bartender, give me six martinis. I have to catch up. 
Yes. <laughs> and the uh, the color of the gin that I'm looking at right now, it's it almost looks like a, a whiskey. It, yeah. It is that same amber color. Aged, so mm-hmm. it's and it's very too. lovely. It's beautiful. Does does the gin still have the bathtub ring on it? <laughs> I, I always I always loved that. I always loved that sort of image metaphor about bathtub gin that got made at home and yeah. <laughs> I would make stories. my own gin if I lived in the prohibition. I think we all know know that, yeah. Let us segue ever so ever so elegantly mm. into our topic for the evening, which is Errol, Errol Morris. Morris. Yes. So folks who have been listening to the podcast for a while know that I'm a little bit of a nerd for documentaries and I don't often get to uh, vent my love for documentaries. And oh, dear. so I, I have found a, a partner in crime for this episode who knows one of the favorite documentarians that I know and love. Paul has seen much of his work, so we can we can actually talk talk about and, and, Errol Morris. <laughs> and I can say Errol Morris has ruined my documentary life because that was my introduction to documentaries was Errol Morris. Really? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, that's that starting with a high mark. Yeah. And, and then after this, I kind of de- dissect any other documentary as to well, what are you going with? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With the exception of Garlic is as good as Ten Mothers. That's just worth it for what it is. So. <laughs> yeah, Errol Morris got to start in. Uh, the the mid nineteen seventies when he was a a promising yet scattered not scatterbrained but uh, ADD ADD uh, student yeah and he happened to know Werner Herzog of well, all people there's the start of your career <laughs> there's the start of your career he knew how do Werner you, Herzog how do you just become chummy with Werner Herzog. I don't like, know, but apparently was, I I don't know. I really Errol, don't. Earl Morris, before this, uh, we should back up. Was yeah. a private investigator for a while, and oh, I forgot how, about that. Yeah, you can't. That's but that informs his whole style. So it, to pay off college or something or debts or whatever at the time, between odd jobs, he ended up being a private investigator, and from that is how he learned how to basically talk to people, get pictures, be kind of inobtrusive about things or be a person you can talk to. And that kind of informs his documentary style mm-hmm. in many ways. So from there, yeah, then you somehow get to know Werner Herzog, which I would have to look that up too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how we wound up knowing Her- Werner Herzog, but, but yeah. he wound up knowing Werner Herzog. And he he was the type of person that that I know very well, <laughs> being the sort of person who, who had lots of projects and never really finishes them. Yep. Funny that... And uh, Werner Herzog basically made a bet. And he said, if you finish this documentary project that you're working on right now, I will eat my shoe. <laughs> now, before this, he had uh, was attempting to do a documentary project, uh, this Errol Morris. They were in Wisconsin with Werner Herzog. And Errol Morris, I don't know if it ever got released anywhere, but has an extensive tapes of interviews with Ed Gein. Um, yeah, and he's yeah. he's done long did long interviews with Ed Gein. Uh, for those who might not know, who Ed Gein is uh, if you want to see like inspiration for Psycho, Texas Chainsaw Massacres, this is one of the original serial killers. Basically, Southern Wisconsin was digging up bodies out of the grave, making the woman's suit literally, mm-hmm. and ended up killing two women because he ran out of bodies locally in the grave. Mm-hmm. And perfectly nice guy in jail. That's what everybody says. He was this. <laughs> Really nice guy, yeah. and Errol Morris interviews him over and over again. And he's happy to talk to Errol, and and never got produced as a film. And then Werner stole it or something, or basically we have a falling out at that point between the two of them. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I'm on Wikipedia. <laughs> yes. FYI. <laughs> so apparently, uh, feel free to correct me. The, uh, no, memory. no. Um, like apparently, a man named Tom Luddy introduced Werner Herzog to Morris, ah. and it was. Well, At the time it. of Ed Gein, because the two of them were going to go dig up Ed Gein's mother. Oh, and oh that's what you that's do right. in Wisconsin. <laughs> to test their theory, they believed that Gein had already dug her up. And oh. so Herzog arrived, but Morris chickened out. Like, there's a there's a little tidbit for you. Mm -hmm. No, you really mean you're going to do what? <laughs> <laughs> so Morris did all of the shooting, but didn't do anything with it. Right. Then Morris went off to Vernon, Florida. Yep. To oh my god, to, Vernon, to do Florida. <laughs> well, Vernon, well, he had Florida. to start on Vernon, Florida. He started Vernon. He didn't mm -hmm. finish it. Yeah, well, he, he did. He started but he didn't. that, and again, he didn't finish it. And so the whole thing with more with Herzog is Herzog made him this bet of I you will never finish a fucking film. Yeah. So um, that was what the bet was about because Herzog was actually trying to egg him on to make him finally right. finish yeah. something he had started because he would start these projects and hear about something else interesting and then just bounce off and go do that instead. Like yeah. many friends of ours. Yeah, like me. I wasn't uh, going after you particularly. <laughs> I'm thinking you, Monty, Monty, various other friends. I yeah, <laughs> yeah. There, there's a lot of that now, going around. Was it? But, but I mean, during this, during this time, okay. during the mid '70s, Werner Herzog was doing a bunch of movies in Wisconsin. Like Strozek was filmed partly in Wisconsin. Okay. He did a, uh, he did a documentary called "How Much Wood Would Wood Chuck Chuck" about. Uh, Cattle Auctioneers, which I believe was also in Wisconsin. It was definitely in America. and uh, Which is Wisconsin. Which is Wisconsin. And so I, I presume that's Disclosure, how- Disclosure, I'm from Wisconsin, the, so I might have a bias. Mm, a little bit. So that's probably how the paths crossed initially. Yep. But eventually, the bet about the shoe resulted in a movie called Gates of Heaven. Right. Which oh, actually great. did get- Finished. And Gates of Heaven is one of the most astounding documentaries out there. Oh, yeah. Still, it's, it's amazing. It came out in 1978, and it's it's about – I think I brought this up during our documentaries episode. It's a documentary about pet cemeteries. And Errol Morris basically went around and just interviewed people who had either – had their pets buried in a in a pet cemetery, or you know, people who ran pet cemeteries, yep. people who are relatives of people who run pet cemeteries. Maybe follows two major cemeteries in California. Yeah, kind of goes between the two of them, but then interviews the people who have had their pets buried there, and oh my god, yes, gets, that's the one with the lady outside her house. Yes, yes, thank you. Oh. Yes, <laughs> yes, and. <laughs> And Gates of Heaven is just a freaking masterpiece yeah. because it is the sort of documentary where it it just kind of sits and watches its subjects and people will tell Errol Morris anything. He's very good at getting people to talk. Right. And the way he has he ties the uh the film together, it just starts revealing things about human nature yep. and about how people deal with death and the it kind of the it, both the kind of artifice of having this like astroturf pet cemetery with all the plastic flowers and all this stuff, but also the real emotion that people feel for their animals and it, their it, family members. It gives me appreciation between that was not the first of his films I saw, but that's yeah. But his style gives me the appreciation for letting the story tell itself. So you just watch these people develop. You yeah. just watch them. As, as you point out, people just are able to talk to him. He's very good at getting them to talk. He does it basically through the silent treatment. He just kind of lets you fill in the gaps. Mm -hmm. And 
it really if you ignore that these are real humans for a moment and think of them as characters he really lets the characters develop themselves and becomes kind of their own storytelling it's kind of really lots of fun and just sucks you in like oh my god did she just say that <laughs> yes there there is no there there almost always um there is no narrator yeah. there's maybe a, a title card or some text on screen to add a little bit more information yeah. but mostly you just sit and watch people tell their own stories on screen yeah and these long and broken takes and and it's that that is his style and it's evident right there from gates of heaven it's yeah. it's like right out the gate that is the way he makes movies. And now the reason I've been referencing Garlic is as good as Ten Mothers is it has footage of the documentary of Werner Herzog eating his shoe. Yes, because... As mm -hmm. prepared by... Sorry, I'm going to give it away right away. Go for it. But as prepared by Alice Waters of... Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, just, Wendy would hit me right now because I just blanked on the name of her. Shapenese. Yes. <laughs> the Shapenese, the, the restaurant in California that started the whole eat local food as a high-end restaurant thing. They cooked his shoe for him. Yes. With garlic. <laughs> With garlic. That's why it's in... and, and the documentarian who captured all that on film is Les Blank. <laughs> yep. <laughs> who who uh, went on to make uh, Burden of Dreams, uh, which is about Werner Herzog making Fitzcarraldo, which is an amazing documentary in itself. So documentary is, it's, it's all documentaries all the way down. So yes, once, <laughs> it is. once Gates of Heaven was made, Werner Herzog did eat in fact shoe. eat his shoe but considering who prepared it it was probably damn tasty yeah there was a um, i did see the little less blanc documentary about i need to see that about it, it and, and it's not very long it's like yeah. 20 minutes long 30 minutes long and there's there's this whole segment about cooking the shoe and you know the um you know the shoe going into the pot with all the onions and the carrots and <laughs> <laughs> well you gotta boiled. soften it up man yeah yeah and uh and Herzog ate it in front of an audience yeah, uh, like at, uh, at, like, at at the restaurant. I thought, I thought I, oh, no, no it right. was on stage. He was, on, right. stage was on stage in front of an audience, yep. and so they they brought the shoe out to him on a plate, and he had the knife and fork, and he ate his shoe. <laughs> this is the man who's been into war zones but doesn't get shot till he goes to California and ends up in the wrong neighborhood. Yeah, Herzog <laughs> is a badass. <laughs> so I, I love that. Okay, so, div diversion into Herzog land. There is an interview with Werner Herzog where he is walking around talking about something completely unrelated and he gets shot on camera. It was in a documentary, I think, about him. Or, no, he I was saw, doing an interview for something. Oh, right. I saw the footage. Yeah. yeah he and, shot. and he gets shot and, and he just carries on with the interview. It's like, yeah, they're like, weren't you shot? It was a drive-by in LA or something. And yeah. it's just like, he's like, oh, it, it just grazed. It's, yeah, it's okay. fine. It's fine. It's like, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> So we need to do a Werner Herzog episode at some point. But anyway, before that, we'll I'll, I'll mainline Werner Herzog so I can because I need to watch a lot of this. Stuff. Yeah, I need to. I need to go back and revisit some stuff. But anyway, so. going back to Errol Morris. Um, so he finishes Gates of Heaven, and then he goes back and uh, revisits Vernon, Florida, and makes the movie Vernon, Florida, so. which is pretty much now the setup yeah. for Vernon, Florida is he had heard that there was a town in Florida with the highest amount of insurance fraud. Uh huh. But he realized you just can't really walk into town mm -hmm. and say, hi, y'all are committing insurance fraud. Let's talk about it. Now, I will admit, I have not seen <laughs> Vernon, Florida yet. I do need to see it. But I've, I was watching the documentary about Errol Morris, and they go into some of his setup for it. And he's mm -hmm. like how he has to kind of like 
the whole thing changes as he's starting to film it because he realizes there's other things to tell here and other yes. things going on. He can't tell the original story, so it opens up all this other interview stuff that happens. Yeah, and it's um, I my you, own, you... <laughs> my own memory of Vernon, Florida, is very foggy because I watched it a long time ago. But it's it's an it's very similar to Gates of Heaven, where he's just going through this community of people and asking them questions about their lives, and they just keep revealing and revealing yep. and revealing and it's and it's kind of just this this story of an ordinary town but once you get under the surface yeah. it, it 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 just gets Explain very strange insurance fraud a few people yeah. are missing limbs yeah. insurance yeah. fraud Here, in this town yeah let me yeah. read you <laughs> let me read you from the wikipedia article cuz this is great yeah. this is so great first off i would like a documentary about Errol Morris and Werner Herzog's relationship because it sounds fascinating. Yes. Because <laughs> uh, Herzog gave Morris, after the Ed Gein stuff, gave him $2,000, which Morris initially refused and Herzog like forced on him. And so Morris used that, that money to go to Florida <laughs> mm-hmm. to okay. start filming it because Vernon, Florida, was nicknamed Nub City because <laughs> it's... <laughs> Because its residents participated in a particularly gruesome form of insurance fraud in which they deliberately amputated a limb in order to collect the insurance money. It's a farm <laughs> accident, I swear. Morris's second documentary would be about the town and bear its name, although it makes no mention of Vernon as Nub City, but explores other idiosyncrasies of the town's residents. Morris made this omission because he received death threats while doing <laughs> research. The town's <laughs> residents were afraid that Morris would reveal their secrets. <laughs> so he went from Ed Gein to Nub City. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a through line there, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you can see, like, these people are willing to cut off their own limbs to get some insurance money. Perhaps I shouldn't normal. piss them off. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah. Where, where Ed seems now a perfectly normal and reasonable individual. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, Vern, I do remember Vern in Florida, even though my my memory of the specific film is very, very hazy. I remember being very entertained by it. It's yeah, I get, it's perfectly fun. <laughs> it's one of those, I have the DVD at home. I need to go watch it yeah. this weekend. I've, I've got it somewhere in my DVD collection, too. But from there, he went on to make The Thin Blue Line, which is... My introduction to Errol Morris. Yeah, and it's on often... It's on Netflix right oh, now. good. Good, because it was um, hard to find for a while. It is uh, often considered to be his masterpiece. Yeah, it's, well, because of the effect it had. And everything. Yeah. To, to go into the personal backstory briefly. Yes, please so do. So this is the first woman I was... Not the first woman I was ever dating, but the first woman I was dating was a film buff who literally did the, you've not seen this film, you are watching this film tonight. And that was my date on Friday night. <laughs> uh, we'd been dating for a couple of weeks by that point, but it was like basically throwing me into a couch and forcing me to watch Thin Blue Line. And I'm like, um, what the hell did I just watch? I need more of this. Yes. <laughs> so. Yes. The the Thin Blue Line, um, I think, was the first Morris film I ever saw, too, because I saw it in a f- a film class on mm. documentary filmmaking. And it is the story of a man who was behind bars for a murder he may or may not have committed. Right. Basically. So the documentary starts out pretty it, it it's pretty much all in the the Morris style. There's it yeah. it's all just, you know, people telling their own stories with a little bit of interpretation thrown in. But it starts out just 
straight up telling the story of what happened yeah. and why this guy is in jail. And then starting to play with, did you see how these two people did not agree about what happened? Did you see yeah. how this third person did not agree about what happened here? And then and he starts the staging of the event. I want to say before this, in documentaries in general, you had kind of the, the docudrama, the staging of it. But this is, I, I want to, I could be wrong, but I think this is like the earliest occurrence we have of, I'm going to show you the policeman's point of view of a car as the police person reported it. And you, you see basically guy gets shot, car drive off, and you're seeing it at night as, as staged and how it originally lo would have looked. It's like, now I'm going to show you the other model of car that this other person said it was in the same staging, mm -hmm. side by side. And you start going, oh, um, and he starts playing with that. Maybe we're fallible in, in, as w eyewitnesses. Maybe we're not yeah. perfect eyewitnesses, even if we're cops. And you start seeing cracks in the story, and it gets really interesting how he does that. Yeah, it's it's a very subtle, almost Rashomon. Yeah. Uh, he, he's playing the Rashomon game with a documentary where he starts showing you things that make you question the validity of the stories that you're hearing from the the other people on screen. Well, and he uses film to recreate. I mean, he's he starts recreating things from different perspectives, mm -hmm. which helps really does help delineate the small discrepancies that really add up. Mm -hmm. yep. Like you're like, well, wait, if if that then that can't. If this is true, then that can't be true. So which right. one is true? And, and and I think Errol Morse's great strength is that um, he's he's a very show don't tell director um, yes. to an extreme. And whereas when you see a crime reenactment, say on a your standard crime show, it's like you're seeing an entire scene. Whereas when you see Errol Morris recreate a scene, it is just the image of the taillights of a car. Yep. And then compared to the this image of a, a pair of taillights yeah. of this car, and it and it's. Um, very minimalist, and it's just moments, it's just images. Yeah, he, and, he pairs it all down, and the interviews yeah. are really good. He both interviews the guy who's in jail for committing the crime, mm -hmm. he interviews the hitchhiker, the guy I picked up who's in jail for another crime. He interviews a variety of police who, this is a day and age, you, like the guy who's in jail, the hitchhiker who's in jail for another crime, he interviews the hometown cops where this guy grew up, and you start hearing about his story. And oh my god! Yeah, it's like a, yeah, it's a day, it's a day and age where this information would not nowadays. This might get more shared thanks to computers and things, but in this day and age, this information is not really shared. So we right. can't say you know Donnie was always a problem around town and a bit of a wise ass. And yeah, I'm not surprised yeah. he's in jail now. Yeah, you know Texas down home cop style. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, Donnie had always stolen things, been abusive. Um, we think he actually did beat somebody maybe to almost death. But, yeah. you know, he's a good he's kid. A good kid yeah. Like, they seriously say shit like that. Mm -hmm. These cops, these small-town yeah. cops. Yeah. But he's, you know, he's from a good family, so it's okay. They're Christians. Yeah. Well, yeah. What the actual fuck? <laughs> oh, yeah. And the whole documentary plays out that way. That's why by the end of it, I'm like, I need more of this this guy's stuff because it was just freaking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's so. It's an amazing movie. Well, did you know that Errol Morris actually uh, studied philosophy? Oh yeah. yeah. If you if you've ever read his, it, he does a lot of writing too. His yes. his writing is amazing. Uh, yeah, I got, got one of his books for Christmas this last year. Yeah, uh, the one where he goes over the uh, Valley of Death photos. Yes. Were the cannonballs placed or not? Errol Morris attacks the question. It's like, oh <laughs> god, this hurts my head to read through all that. But you can you can really tell his background in philosophy when yeah. you when you read his 
written works. Yeah. For a while, he had an ongoing column at, yeah, was it the New, New York, York Times? Times? That's what this yeah. book is a collection yeah. of. Yeah. Uh, he did a series of things on photographs. Mm-hmm. And the first was a Valley of Death, and he goes another one, Abe Graham. He wrote about it and also did the documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but talks about photos being a slice in time and getting very philosophical about can you actually trust a photo as being a document of truth because it's a, it's a moment in time in a specific context. Mm-hmm. And to show how annoying this guy is, um, <laughs> so the Valley of Death photos where the, the Brave 600 died, as in Crimea? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he actually goes there and is telling the tour guide, no, we're in the wrong place. We need to be over here. And is pissing off. I mean, in the book, he's admitting, I'm pissing off the tour guide because I know the lay of the land better than she does. Because <laughs> I've been reading the maps for months now. And I know we should be over here, not over here, because this is the actual Valley of Death, as opposed to it's labeled the Valley of Deaths because it's the wrong word. And da, 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 da. It's like, oh, dude, I do not ever want to work for you. <laughs> 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 it, it, it's interesting how rarely you actually see him yeah. on tape um, because he never he, he almost never inserts himself into his own documentaries. Yep. He, he almost you never might hear his voice you, occasionally. You might hear his voice occasionally, and and it's really disconcerting because this man is clearly highly intelligent, and then he opens up his mouth and like this really brash New Yorker, New Jersey <laughs> accent comes out. <laughs> Did you really mean to murder him? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> he sounds like a film noir cop. He really yeah. does. And uh, it, uh, the the year that uh, The Unknown Known came oh, yeah. out, uh, the one about Donald Rumsfeld came out, uh, it premiered at Fantastic Fest, and along with it, Harold Morris sent a video of himself saying hi to the Fantastic Fest crowd, which, and it was really disconcerting to watch the man on screen, because he's really kind of awkward and a little annoying, and <laughs> exactly very New Yorker. Uh, yeah. So Thin Blue Line is also the one where he pissed off Philip Glass. Oh, yeah. So there's a documentary about Errol Morris out there. I forget what the name of it was. There's also one about Philip Glass, I think, called Breaking Glass. But the one about Errol Morris, they interview everybody, including Philip Glass. About it, and Philip Glass is like, oh, my God, that movie. So he does the music for it. And months for months after, as, as Earl Morris is editing it together, he's calling up Philip Glass saying, well, I need this score tweaked this way. I need these three bars tweaked this way. And, he, and Glass is like, leave me alone. I have a life and other jobs to do. Go away. <laughs> like, it's like, okay, if you can piss off Philip Glass. I mean, I don't know much about him personally, but he seems like an okay guy. I like his music, even though some people claim it's repetitive. You know, we're, we're all about Philip Glass yeah, here. Yeah, the old knock-knock joke, knock-knock. Who's there? You repeat that three times and you say Philip Glass at the end. <laughs> uh. Well, yeah, Morris could not have pissed off Glass all that much because right. Glass at Comes least back. returned and uh, did some work for him. For yeah, he, he did. He did first person, didn't he? I think yeah, he did. He got and, over, he got over it. He, he was just yeah. in, in the interviews for the documentary. He's just like, oh my god, he annoyed me so much because he's trying to do other films at the time. He had other projects going on, and here's this guy coming back to him months later saying, oh, I need an edit. So, <laughs> I'm trying to do Kyan Scotty. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so the next one was Brief History of Time, which I've never seen because Same it's here, hard so to find. Not it's sure. like it's like vanished from the face of the earth, but it's a Ira Morris documentary about Stephen well, Hawking. Yeah, where interview Stephen Hawking is considered the major interview with Steve, Stephen Hawking. Um and, tales with the book of the same name. Yeah, and it is just vanished. It's out it's been yeah. out of print for ages and it's very hard to track down. So 
I have not seen it, sadly. But the same year, which was 1991, he made a uh, fiction fiction film called The Dark Wind, which I also haven't seen, but it stars Lou Diamond Phillips for some reason. And. Well, yeah, it's a Errol Morris film. So, of course, you'd what? Wait. Yeah, it's a mystery (laughs) drama thing. Yeah. At at the time I was going through all the Errol Morris movies, I also wasn't able to track down a copy of that. But in the mid. Mid nineteen nineties, that was about when he uh, he developed the the Interotron. Yes, the Interotron, which is this piece of machinery that he built, which is a camera. I love it. I and, love it. And, I love the story of this. Yeah, it, it's a camera and a set of um of two television cameras. screens. Yeah, two cameras, two television screens. Yeah, and and so Morris would not be in the room with the uh, the person being interviewed, but he'd. He'd be controlling this camera rig, which also had this TV screen showing his face on it. Right. And so he would get these wonderful interviews where the interviewee is actually looking at the camera because they're looking at the face of Errol Morris talking to them. But because he's not actually in the room with the camera, the camera can be right there pretty much where yeah, his eyes would pretty be. Much, yeah, in line with the eyes. Yeah. And so you, you get this person looking right in the lens of the camera that you just normally can't get in an interview. Mm-hmm. And oh god, the whole I, I would hate to be in this device. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's this. Um, he later did a TV show called First Person, yep. which uh, is what like fifteen, eighteen episodes long, maybe not even that. Uh, oh, in total, it was two seasons. The first was like ten, and the next was five or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, like it's it, it's in the teens. Yeah. Fantastic series, but just constant amazing. use of Interotron in it. Except for the parrot, because the parrot's under police protection. Yes. <laughs> the so the, each each episode of this TV series is like a mini documentary. It's either half hour or an hour long, and yep. he just picks people that he's interested in. There's one about postmaster. The the post. The, there's one about the postmaster. There's there's hurt. one about. I think one of my favorite ones is the um, the woman who designs slaughterhouses. Yes. Uh, the, the, uh, her name is. Temple, uh, Temple Grandin. Temple, Temple Grandin. Grandin. Yeah, uh, autistic woman who uh, has a career in designing slaughterhouses because she uses used her empathy as an autistic person to figure out how to make the cattle more comfortable and easier to manage, leading them <laughs> into yep. their inevitable death. And uh, so, very interesting woman. Um, he did an episode about. Mendez, the the gentleman who uh, whose story is portrayed in Argo, the the spy. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. He, he did an um, he did an interview with Robert S. McNamara, which uh, eventually turned into, into the, the film, film. Yeah. Fog of War. Yeah. I'd have to look at the DVD case. The two, yeah. the two that, like I said, that stuck out for me is as the first one I saw on TV and knew I had to go get the series was the one where he talks to the guy's the postmaster general, whatever that when it, you're like near the top and you run several post offices. Mm-hmm. He's in charge the day literally an employee goes postal mm-hmm. and knew the guy was problems and was trying to get the guy fired. And, it's, and the whole thing is like, oh, my God, nobody would listen to this poor guy. And it's an amazing story to listen to this guy who's basically been blackballed out of the post office because he tried to get the guy out of there. And yeah. because of bureaucracy, he couldn't just because he, yeah, he couldn't get the right reasons together and you have to have forms and reasons and such mm-hmm. and then the guy goes and kills six people in a post office and he kind of gets blamed for it yeah because obviously you're the boss and it's just like oh it was just painful to watch 
Yeah. And then the parrot. The parrot. The parrot was amazing. (laughs) So we have a murder. Yeah. Yeah, no surprise there. A woman gets murdered in her bedroom, and we think one person did it, and the problem is the parrot is screaming somebody else's name, because this is a- uh, African gray? African gray, Mm -hmm. which are highly intelligent, live a long time, and was in the room when the murder happened. And so it it imitates her scream, it screams what she was saying, which is screaming out the name of her killer, except you can't admit a parrot as evidence in a court of law. But Errol and Errol Morris wanted to interview the parrot and couldn't get to the parrot because he is literally <laughs> under protection. He get to get to the handlers who knew where the parrot was, and they would tell him, "Yes, the parrot still says a name. We've been having the parrot in therapy to this day because it is so traumatic event. Because these are highly intelligent animals and they live thirty five plus years, and mm-hmm. you know this poor thing might still be alive today for all we know. And it's like, but they don't want the killer to go get the parrot, get at the parrot because it's the only witness to the event. And this whole document, little half hour thing, goes down this way. I'm like. Oh, parrot. <laughs> Side note. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I wanted to let you know that there are three Errol Morris films on Netflix right now. The Thin Blue Line, Tabloid. Which is fantastic. And Vernon, Florida is on Netflix. <gasps> Yay. Ooh. Yay. So oh, good to know. Good to know. There, watch there you go. I'm, I'm trying to find first person, this TV show. I'm trying to find it. On a streaming service, you can buy it through Amazon. Yeah, the, buying yeah. it through Amazon, it's actually fairly easy to get through Amazon on yeah. disc. And uh, it, it's not all that expensive, last time I looked. Yeah. Because people hand that around. Yeah, it was a Christmas present from yeah. Wendy a couple of years ago. So Yeah. And it, it, it is worth its weight in gold. Right. It really is fantastic. And <laughs> I think my favorite, well, no, that's not my favorite one, but... Uh, there's another episode where they talk to a person who uh, uh, does forensic cleaning for a living. Oh, yes. Oh, God. <laughs> so one of those people who goes in after a murder scene and cleans the apartment so it can be resold, that sort of thing. Uh, that That's the sort of caliber. Yeah, that's what he does. Interview. And, and all of these interviews were done with an Interotron. And at certain points in each of these interviews, you can um, occasionally see a shot back over the shoulder of the interviewee where you can actually see, see the interatron and it looks like the most fucked up blocky robot that has Errol Morris's black and white face glaring from it. So what, <laughs> it was so weird. So we need to redo Brazil, but your interrogator is Errol Morris in the yeah. Brazil sort of context. Yeah, the only reason it's not a Terry Gilliam thing is that <laughs> it doesn't have a Fresnel lens in front of the yeah. uh, in front of the TV. Ooh, a Gilliam Morris team up. Oh, if God, that kill, would if be... If they did kill each other, it would be fun. I think they would come to knives first, yeah. but it, it sure would be interesting. <laughs> but anyway, uh, backing up a little bit back into yeah. the 90s, uh, he also did a movie called Fast, Cheap, and Out of Control, which is a little bit of a mess because he basically takes four different routes yeah. and then tries to tie them together and they don't quite mash yeah, together. Yeah, that's not one of his best. But the, but the individual stories he's telling... They're really amazing. There's like a guy who studies naked mole rats and God, wasn't there a person who does topiaries for a living? I think so. And then there was the the people who try to win the car by being the last person standing. Yes. Yes. The, the, the hands on, hands on a hard body. Yeah. Hard body. Like people. It was a truck. Yeah. And, uh, there was one other story, but the, the, the interweaving line was supposed to be, you know, finding your passion in life right. essentially. And. Yeah, it 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 comes and goes. It comes and, and goes. Yeah, 
Naked that one's Mulrans. fun. Um, usually it's uh, pretty easy to find. I like Naked Mulrans. Um, mm-hmm. You can get almost all of his movies. Uh, you can rent them through iTunes. I just looked up. Hooray! So between 4 and $5, and they do have... The Dark Wind, by the way, Melissa. Oh my you, God, I can watch you, it. I can you watch can the Diamond Soul. Oh, I'm this Friday. All right. Uh, <laughs> fast, cheap, and out of control is on there. Standard mm-hmm. operating procedure, like almost everything we've mentioned, mm-hmm. you can find through iTunes and rent them there. Brief history of still, time, but not first person. <sighs> I am still looking. Like you guys keep talking, and I'm okay. on a hunt because okay. now I'm fascinated so now by the this one, shit. The other film I love. Okay, Doctor Death or oh, Mr. Do- Death? Mr. Death. Oh, I love that one. Mr. Death, the rise and fall of, of Fred, Fred A. Luchter Jr. And that one just tears me apart. It's oh, I, yeah. I, wow. I'm not saying it's a happy one. It's, no, it's not happy at uh, all. I love it for just the the journey you go on. It's not is not a happy journey. No. So, so go ahead. Yeah. No, you, you go ahead. Oh, so Freddie Lucher is a man who uh, has made a living up until the, this certain point in his career has made a living improving the implements that execute people. Mm-hmm. So he's made improved electric chairs. He's improved the gas chamber, making it more in quotes humane uh, and more efficient. So mm-hmm. you don't suffer as much. He figured out that for lethal injection, you should inject along with the pulse, so you're not just shoving the chemicals in so the person is uncomfortable. Right. And as somebody who's had major surgery, I understand where he's coming from, unfortunately. But on the other hand, I don't want to think where he's coming from. Uh, <laughs> and this is and what and he's been hired like throughout the U.S. prison system to improve their killing devices. Mm-hmm. And the first thing you find out is he has no formal training. He's done this all on his own. He's figured this all out. He has a bit of an engineering background, but it's not like he has any training in how to kill people or how these devices work. He basically decided to make the electric chair better and sold himself and people started buying it. And then it kind of feeds on itself from that point. And it's just that whole career and how he built it up is just fascinating and mm-hmm. dark as like to go down that path. And, and then, then... <laughs> Oh God. And then it falls down the <laughs> rabbit hole because, yes. because then they start going into what he started doing after getting this career yes which is he 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 started trying to disprove that the holocaust well, he happened got hired. he got hired to there do was this. A, there was a major canadian uh legal court case going on against a white supremacist who was a holocaust denier and the, the his defense team hired lucher to go over to germany and prove that the gas chambers weren't real yeah and lucher you realize this is where the man's failing is. And this whole documentary just turns at this point, And you realize this whole thing has been a study of how one can deceive oneself. It yes. is no longer a study of Lucher or the court case or his career, but it is a study of the man and of a, it's a psychological study. And it's like, oh my God, because he goes to Germany. He takes scrapings where you're not supposed to. I mean, he mm-hmm. sneaks around Auschwitz in places that if he got caught, he would have been arrested because he goes off the beaten path. And, you know, it's it's archaeological at this point. It isn't just that, you know, the nature of, oh, you're desecrating. It's the nature of, no, we need to preserve this. So we don't want you going off damaging things because we need to preserve this site just for study. And he determines that the chemicals aren't deep enough in the in the mortar or that are the right chemicals in his opinion and he takes his knowledge of what he's been doing which is purely engineering knowledge and thinks he's doing science and you realize mm-hmm. he's not and just implodes his whole life over this court case and it is an amazingly dark documentary to watch yeah it's yeah like, oh yeah it, it, I, I loved it but it's not an easy one 
Yeah, and and you can see the the dangers of being smart enough and yet not educated enough right. to be making the wisest assumptions. Decision, yeah, yeah it, <laughs> it, it's a hard one to watch. It and it, it it's have a lot it's of rough afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, that was. You 19- can find almost every episode on YouTube, listeners. Oh, of, of first person. Yes. yes, Melissa. I am sending you a link to a blog post of links t- links to Errol Mov- Morris that you can watch online for free. Ooh, now, yeah. I am sad that it's on YouTube because I would like to give that money back to Errol Morris. But you know what? Uh, on the other hand, maybe you watch one, you realize it's awesome, and you go and you buy it off of Amazon, people. Right. Like, yep. right. like that's what you should do. Like, you want your money to get back to the creator in some way. Mm-hmm. But if this gets you in the door, if this hooks you, then I am not going to say nay to that. Kind of weirded out by the 74th Annual Academy Awards. Oh, all oh. Die horribly. Okay, so <laughs> Paul, Paul is looking at the, the filmography of Errol Morris, and uh, after First Person in 2002, there's a listing for the 74th Annual Academy Awards. And the, this is, I remember this very clearly. Um, this is one of the greatest things I ever saw happen at the Academy Awards. There was this great little, like, four-minute documentary that Errol Morris did as kind of the um, intro to the Academy Awards that year. And it was a bunch of filmmakers in front of a completely white background describing their favorite films or uh, describing films that they love or the experience of watching movies. And it's just this joyful, fun little thing. And it is absolutely charming and showing he can be happy. Yeah. And it, it's it's very cheerful and lovely, and I really loved it. And I've it it occasionally pops up on YouTube and then promptly disappears. Maybe it's out there again, but it's a it's a charming little piece, and I really love it. I, I find this humorous, and we're going from charming little piece into our next one. Yeah, and then two thousand three, yeah, Fog of War, <laughs> Fog of War, eleven lessons from the life of Robert S. McNamara, who was. Uh, the architect of the Vietnam War under the Nixon administration, yes, including the the uh, napalming of the Mekong Delta with extreme prejudice. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Not, not a great person. Not again. a not a great person. But it, it's uh, once again, this is uh, another one of Morris's great oh, yes. movies. This is really where he got. It. And and McNamara is telling telling his own story. This is all McNamara sitting in Terratron again. In, in Terratron again, coming back after doing first person. Yeah. And he, he, there's this entire movie of McNamara telling his own story about basically engineering the, the Vietnam yeah. War. Yeah. And there's a lot of wisdom in this man and he's very candid in a lot of ways, but, it's, but, and, but it's, it's very, very I, dark. It's, it's very dark. I loved it. Another one I've loved because Errol Morris, I'm just in love with this yeah. stuff. But what I, the thing that annoyed me was some of the, the uh, left-wing critics of it. Because and I'll always rag on this is I remember when this came out is there was a group of people going, why didn't you do a gotcha? He didn't go far enough. He didn't pin McNamara to the to the wall as it were over all his crimes. I'm like, did yeah. you watch what I watched? Because what I watched did that, except it does it in a very underhanded, subtle way. He Which wants- is how Harold always does it. He yeah, exactly he, like. These people admit to things that they don't even realize that they've admitted to. Whereas if he if he did a gotcha moment, people would stop talking to him. Yeah. Right, and and when you realize in the beginning of this one, McNamara is a highly intelligent person. 
he's not going to fall into any trap easily. Mm-hmm. And the only thing Earl Morris has to do is get him to talk. Yeah. And you start getting these little moments of where you go, did he just, wait, that was an allusion to, ooh. Um. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, like, and Morris is doing the, the enough rope thing. Yeah, enough here, rope. Here, yeah. He, just, he just plays out rope to the person it, who's doing the it's interview. Just, it's, it's where I blame American media culture in that there's now this expectation of the big da-da. It's like, that's not going to happen with this car- with this person because he knows not to fall into that. Yeah. And Morris, as you point out, Wendy, is, you know, he doesn't do that either. So you have to really pay attention when you watch these. Mm-hmm. And, and You've got to bring a lot of your own interpretation to watching these interviews, but yeah. it all the Don't information blink. is there. Yeah. And it it is just these long and broken cuts. And the thing is, by not going for the gotcha moment, it reveals so much more. Yeah. It, it's not just going after the aha, there it is. It's going after everything. It yeah. it is giving you this this vast vision of not just the dark thing that the that is the core of the movie. It's also going over kind of almost this Sun Tzu art of war yeah. thing that uh McNamara Marcus, has. Yeah. There, I mean there's some really kind of great wisdom that the man has to impart but also <laughs> there's all this dark horrible history yeah and it's the closest we're going to get to to closing that chapter of history with that guy i mean that, yeah. that's that's what i think where some people are upset is they really want a a moment of and now we can convict you and put you up against the firing squad it's like no you're never going to get that with this guy he's he's too smart and in too much of a position of power this is the closest you're going to get to a self-indictment of his life and yeah yeah, it's it's not the big bubba you might have wanted, but you know it's there and it's not usable in court, but you got it. I mean, if right. this is close, you you get to this confession, right? And and I loved it for that, and I loved just parts of where I was just jaw open, going, "What did he just say?" <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, I feel like I should have been taking notes during yeah. that one. He did another thing for the 79th Annual Academy Awards in 2007. Um, There's a short called Survivors that I haven't seen. But then in uh, 2008, the same year as Survivors, he did Standard Operating Procedure, which is another harrowing documentary about Abu Ghraib. Yep. So after all the horrible, horrible things that happened at Abu Ghraib, the, the, the movie is astounding for the level of access that Morris got. Yeah, like, do you people understand he's going to be telling the truth about what you did? Well, and he doesn't even have to. He doesn't even have to tell the truth. You're telling the truth about what you did. The the the. I'm just uh, this annoying New Yorker. Come talk to me. I think I think there was only one person he didn't get to talk to. He got to talk to everybody who was involved in those. In in the torture at Abu Ghraib and the pictures, yeah, and the pictures. He he got the pictures. He got tons of material, and he got almost unfettered access to interviewees. Yep, and, and a ton of New York Times articles because this goes back into his writings too. On yeah, what are photographs and how are they the truth? And so he does a documentary, and he gets a ton of writing out of it too. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. But like, wow. standard operating procedure is an amazing movie where. It, you you watch these interviewees and you're literally going are are you sure you want to say that in front of a camera <laughs> yeah it, it, does the term admissible in court mean <laughs> yeah 
it's amazing. Uh, uh, but the the real brilliance of the movie is showing the the environment that they were in and how it snowballed. Yep. And how it became worse and worse, and why it was allowed to be that way, and why why it happened. Yep. And not an excuse for why it happened, but just an explanation well, in part. But it 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 it's it's very good at showing that that slippery slide down the <laughs> down the uh, away from ethics. Uh, <laughs> That's slippery slide. That's slippery slide. So slippery. <laughs> but this is, I mean, I, I mean, I haven't watched this one yet, but from the description you're giving and from my understanding is, is especially as we get post Fred Blucher, he's much more into the following the psychology of his subjects. Where are you yeah. going with this? Letting you explain it just so you can follow the reasoning and where these people are going with their reasoning as dark as it gets and as scary as it can get. And it's just like, he's very much hitting his, has hit his stride at this point from a documentary style, I would say. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a fascinating document of what happened there. It's, it's dark. I'll warn you. Is there happy Errol Morris? That next, that's. Well, next there time. is. <laughs> it, it, it involves uh, directors talking about their favorite movies. <laughs> and, 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 and honestly, um, like Gates of Heaven, Gates of Heaven was, it was is happy. is actually really kind of fun, even though it's about early people. In his deal- we'll point out early in his career, very early, <laughs> very early. But no, uh, 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 Gates of Heaven is very much, even though it deals with death of beloved pets, yeah. it's quirky and kind of fun, and there's kind of an uplifting well, quality. Touching. Yeah, it's yeah. very touching. Whereas a lot of the stuff that he's going for in the two thousands is he's got the skills to go after the hard stuff, and yeah. he he goes for it. And- and he's doc- got the name. Let and us he's know. got the name. And, and from a documentary but point of view, still... it's what he, what he needs to do at this stage in his career is go after the hard stuff. Yeah. Because now we will have a documentary of here was, here's what happened at Abu Grave, at least from this point of view. Here's what McNamara is like. Here's what Rumsfeld was like. Here what, here's what these people were like in this time period. And we need that, sadly. If mm. you have any doubts about the unending narcissism of certain people – for example, Donald Rumsfeld, <laughs> the very fact that he would say yes to Errol Morris tells you that he thinks he's in the right and Errol Morris is going to tell the truth about it. Yeah. Yep. Although uh, going to, <clears throat> you know, we'll digress a little bit forward and talk about the unknown known a little bit. Rumsfeld, you could tell when talking, watching the unknown known that uh, Morris was hoping he'd get another Robert S. McNamara out of Donald Rumsfeld. It's it's very similar in in that sort of tone, but you can tell that Rumsfeld isn't quite willing to go there, <laughs> and you can kind of sense that Morris was a little frustrated <laughs> by that. Well, it, 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 I, Rumsfeld's I, a little bit like trying to nail jelly to a wall. Yeah, I've seen excerpts of it. I haven't seen this one yet. Yeah, and, and it's, it's just a. I didn't know if Rumsfeld's just that. From these few thing excerpts I saw, I was like, is he that stupid, or is he just being that dissembling that he doesn't want to answer anything, but he doesn't know how to get out of it. Well, Where you McNamara, have to remember, Rumsfeld is a politician. McNamara was a military man. Yeah, right. yeah, and Rum- and Rumsfeld. But I sense I sense McNamara when I watch that one. Like, there's a certain degree of intelligence and calculation going on as mm-hmm. he's answering the questions. The little bits and snatches I saw of Rumsfeld, I didn't get that sense. So I, I, I'd have to watch in the hole to see if that's there. I or not. honest yeah. to God believe that a lot of these really, really deep, contradictory, strange politicians that we get, like they they retcon their own brains. Oh, I'm I'm pretty sure that uh, Rumsfeld 
has not thought too deeply about his life. Yeah. And there, there are moments where he's being very smart about the documentary about him, the unknown, but you get the sense that he has not reflected enough upon his time in the Bush administration to really impart. Wisdom is not necessarily the right word, but perspective. Right. Would you like to hear a quote from Mr. Errol Morris about Donald Rumsfeld? I would love to hear that. Rumsfeld has an absolute inability to appreciate irony on any level. He he exhibits endless examples of irony deficit disorder. (laughs) He has, I would say, almost no awareness of himself. He's aware he needs to justify himself and he needs to explain himself. But in the words of Jefferson, he needs to give an account of stewardship. But beyond that, there's little or nothing. Mm-hmm. I like that's yeah, yeah. I get that. Yeah, that's the I, entire Bush administration in a nutshell. Yeah, and I I think that's pretty much the reason that the unknown known doesn't quite work on the same level as a lot of other uh, Errol Morris films, just because. Morris did not find the pot of gold at the end of that rainbow. Yeah. <laughs> there, he went searching. It's like, well, shit, there's nothing here. I got a pile of dirt. But it it still is very interesting stuff to watch. Okay. It, it's it's a very interesting film. It it just is is not as well satisfying. Might not be the right word either. But it it feels a little more aimless than a lot of his other work. So what did you think? Backing up. Yeah, backing up to tabloid. Tabloid. That's one I have to watch, but that's one that was like the has ruined people's careers, isn't it? Yeah. It, um, oh. it, it was basically okay. So tabloid is fascinating. Tabloid is amazing. So tabloid uh, focuses on a woman who was a former Miss Wyoming who was uh, basically charged with abducting and imprisoning a uh, man in England who was a Mormon missionary. We had Stuart, and it's. Um, I can't Sorry. remember the full story of what happened there, but um, that the documentary starts out, it, you know, it, it's all about her. He he has her as the interviewee, and she's telling her own story. And the documentary starts off on one storyline, and then finds a darker storyline and takes like a weird left turn. So the 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 weird left turn being the bit about abducting the Mormon missionary. <laughs> Just the thing you do, you know. Yeah, just the thing you do. But it's even weirder than that because there there are strange things about her life. And it's – I don't quite know how to describe this movie because the story it tells is so bizarre. But it's fascinating. That's my understanding of why it's – if this is what I think it is, why it's ruined other people's careers who have tried to track it down. Because the details are so like – so hard to pin down in some ways. Right. I I might be conflating this with another one because I thought there was one he he was tackling that was like – Really, you're going to do that one? Other journalists have have ruined themselves over this. So. <laughs> I, I think it was this one because okay. most of the stuff he's done since then um, in the 2010s are uh, are shorts because he okay, that so he was doing with because he was doing them with the New York Times, like particularly the Umbrella Man, which is I don't know 20 minutes long, 10 minutes long, yeah. uh, but it's about the guy with the umbrella in the Zapruder film who ah. he who he tracks down. Uh, there, there's a few others like that. And then 2013, he did the unknown known. He also did November 22nd, 1963, you know, again, more into the, uh, uh, Kennedy assassination. Who's the smoking man? (laughs) I, I have not seen November 22nd, 1963, but unknown known, we've already, we've already talked about. 
And then after that, uh, lots of shorts, lots of shorts. Um, I think I saw the heist, which was last year and I can't remember much about it, but, uh, there, there are a uh, number of things like that. I know he's got some upcoming projects. Freezing people is easy. <laughs> Freezing people is easy. The demon in, in the, the freezer. freezer. Which is a sequel, obviously. Yes, and Holland, Michigan, which may be a sequel to Vernon, Florida. <laughs> um, oh, I've got a piece of trivia about tabloid. I'm sorry, oh, you made me look yes. it up. The uh, Errol Morris was sued by Joyce McKinney, the subject of the movie, for allegedly tricking her into appearing in the film. Huh. Oh, come on. You'd, you'd, you'd think, think it would by... be pretty obvious by sitting in front of the Interotron that you were being interviewed on camera. Yeah, if it you seems, if, seems if, unlikely. If it's after 2005 and you have no clue who Errol Morris is, that's your fault. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although, just reading the quick summary about the movie, like, I can kind of understand how things, why why people would... Because it's all about whether or not the Mormon church was brainwashing the man that she loved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, and if the Mormon church felt like they were not being uh, presented in a positive way, uh, we all know about Scientology, but Mormonism, there's some strange things that happen there too, yo. Well, they have magic underwear. underwear. The, yeah. the magic underwear. Yeah. yeah that, that's the weirdest thing. I'm sorry. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> Better be wearing it when the apocalypse comes. Yeah, really. Hmm. Zombie or otherwise. So, do we, do we have any other films left to talk about? No, that's pretty much that's it. Pretty he's much been it, doing yeah. a lot of he's in been doing shorts, a lot yeah. of shorts lately. And, I have closing yeah. remarks for you in the form of quotes from him that I have found. Okay, excellent. Okay. Go for it, Wendy. So, quote number one. This is a longer one. Over the years, I have been put in this very defensive position, as if I have to really defend many of the techniques that were used in the Thin Blue Line reenactments being one of them. Finally, I have come up with an answer that I find somewhat satisfactory. That everything is a reenactment. Consciousness is a reenactment of reality inside our skulls. None of us have direct access to the real world as such, and the job of nonfiction is not just simply turning on a camera and pointing it one way or another, but in creating a relationship with the real world. Mm-hmm. That works. I'm like, yeah, no, I... I like and you can tell his philosophy is hanging out oh, there. Yeah, oh, absolutely. He, in the last, with the uh, New York Times articles, he's very much taken this philosophical bent and from his background and, and been applying it as to you know what is reality, what is truth, all that sort of stuff. That's why this book is fun to read about mm-hmm. photography and everything because it's like he's just it's really more a philosophical discussion than it is about the problems he's looking at. So. Well, I mean, like, even you take a picture of something flying in the air and the person who takes the picture totally believes it's a UFO. It's a picture of a UFO. Like, that is true. Yeah. They yeah. didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. Right? Next up, chemtrails. <laughs> <laughs> and the other quote is the best. If you leave people alone and don't interrupt them, within three or four minutes, they'll show you just how crazy they really are. Mm-hmm. This is very true. Uh, one of the first, <laughs> if if you are lecturing in front of a group, I've learned this from a, another college professor I liked a lot. Uh, when I was doing tours at Summit, if you definitely want to elicit questions from people, just just count to ten quietly in your head while staring at the group. Mm-hmm. Somebody will break. <laughs> oh, it's it's one of the first things that I remember being taught once I got into like how to how to run a classroom when I was learning how to teach yep. was. That teachers don't wait long enough. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, like it's just we tend to ask a question, get no response, move on because partially because we are so aware of the ticking clock and how much we have to fit into every class period, yeah. but that you have to wait to just let people think, but also to let them get over there. Well, nobody else is talking and I do have an idea. I, I guess I could share it. One of them will break. <laughs> One of them will break. Somebody will break. I don't, you don't need to wait that long for me. I'll just start talking. <laughs> Let's just be honest about that. All right. So, yeah. hey, Errol Morris. Yeah, you need Aww. to watch more Errol Morris movies. Yeah. They're out there. Please do. And and first person, definitely. And his, and his short films. Yeah. I need to watch more of his short films. I do too. He made more since I uh, last looked. Well, short films are just so great. Mm-hmm. Like, we need more access to them because it's like, I don't want to watch 20 minutes of something depressing, but I'll watch 30 minutes of something depressing. Sure. <laughs> I think you got that backwards. Two hours versus three minutes. Two hours versus three minutes rather than 20 minutes versus 30 Whatever, minutes. Whatever. You know, we're the it's ones the drinking Lam- gin. It's the Lambrusco. Mm. Look, Melissa, if you could edit that out and make me smarter, I'd really appreciate that. Delicious yeah. gin. I, I will point out that, yeah, if I'm ever arrested for a crime and the police saying, here's Errol Morris to question you, I will just say I'm guilty. Take me away. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter if I am or not. Something will happen in the interview. Just, yeah. It's true. Over with. It's true. Or I'll you'll, just you'll, go, actually, what really happens, really? Fanboy, hi. <laughs> I was just talking you. about your movies. Oh. Get this man off me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There, there is this, I, I will end with, um, I will link this in the show notes. There is a beautiful photo of Errol Morris and Werner Herzog hugging each other under a rainbow. Also, somebody Aww. else look in the show notes. I'll have to look for it. Um, are you aware that there is a spoof series? I think it's on Netflix of different documentaries. Thirty-minute spoofs, <gasps> including <gasps> the eye, what the eye sees, the thin blue line spoof. Oh, it is painfully oh. funny. <laughs> okay, put that in the show notes. Like oh somebody, oh my god, yeah. They, they, you found my happy. They also baseball. do gray gardens. Oh my god! It's like, <gasps> I like to wear the sweatpants on my head because it, it's a good fashion thing. Oh my god! Yeah, it's. I forget who's doing it. You'll know. You'd know them if I could remember who it was. It's. It's. They've been around as a comedy guys. They've been around for a bit, but they're doing thirty minute spoofs or in the style of or directly of various documentaries. Oh god! Yes. Oh my god! <laughs> for for uh, the I what the I sees the Errol Morris spoof. Mm-hmm. The intro is it's like an AMC the old AMC movie intro. Yeah, Helen Mirren walks out. The Helen Mirren, in its 50th season of this sh- sh- fake show, we'll now look at da-da-da and his famous documentary style, Errol Morris. Da- it's like, it's Helen Mirren! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and, it's like, and, she, and only she can deliver straight the 50th season of this show that doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I'll try to find that and get to you. Oh, you... Yeah! Man. I'm worried about these questions. Is this like an actor's guild thing? Oh, no, 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 okay. no. Okay. So... <laughs> So, Wendy, we need to ask Paul our questions. They are very easy questions. Yes. 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 Paul has not been on the show. Why, yes. why is Melissa getting the entire Tron out? Uh, future, <laughs> future Melissa, who is the secretary of this podcast, if you could please remind us to revisit the questions. Like, <laughs> yes. just send out an email, goddammit. Yeah, and then I we'll will. I will, yeah. Get it figured out. All right. But okay. speaking, of, but these are the questions we've gotten. So we're going to ask you, Paul, question number one is, who are you? I can neither confirm nor deny. Oh, wait. Um, <laughs> who am I? I'm Paul Como. I'm a, just a guy in town who's 
bit into fandom, a bit of this, a bit of that. I'm not sure where to go with the whole who am I, whereas the Babylon 5 thing comes up immediately. Um, <laughs> I didn't know about the Babylon 5 thing. Who are you? Who are you? Oh, oh, you mean that. Okay. Yes, who okay. are you? Ah, no, I'm a Babylon 5 fan too, so okay. I like that. Um, you know, by day I'm a project manager, by night I'm a guy with who's happily married with two daughters who are teenagers, which sometimes scares the heck out of me. Uh and just general fan and I enjoy films and different fandoms. So excellent. And question yeah. number two is what do you do? Although I feel like you've already approached that. Uh, yeah, my day <laughs> yeah. job, project management, uh at in the land of red and tan. If you're in Minnesota, you'll know what that means. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. don't ever go into Target wearing a red shirt, FYI. <laughs> though I find great humor. Myers is opening a store up here. Oh, Closer to Target headquarters where I'm at than a Target is. <laughs> they bought property in spitting distance of the North Campus. Wow. Oh. My wife is from Michigan, I should explain. So I know what a Myers is. If you don't, it's basically a more localized version of a Target out of Michigan and that area of the world down to Indiana and Ohio and such. Um, but I just find great humor that I can, <laughs> I'll be able to drive to a Myers faster than the Target from the Target campus. That's amazing. That's some bold, bold positioning on their part, I gotta say. Go Michigan. I'm surprised they don't have a company store. <laughs> uh, they do. On campus. Oh, they want. do? Okay. But it's all Target branded stuff. Okay. I could have gotten you a toaster that put a little bullseye on your toast. That's kind yes. of cool. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's Can I have now. one? Oh. It, was, it was a one-off. Nobody <sighs> bought it that I know of. Dang it. Um, I, I can I get would. you bullseye puppies. Actual it's, puppies? No, no, no. Oh. Stuffed animals. Okay. Plushes. Well, that's not nearly as exciting. Can you toast them? Wait. <laughs> can you smoke it? <laughs> Reference to Fridays. Uh, so that, that's uh, my day job. Okay. Uh, nighttime, I used to have hobbies. I don't so much anymore. I'm the guy who used to do martial arts way back in and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. Life has calmed down. Now I, I run. So you no longer do martial arts? I haven't done martial arts since the girls quit Aikido. Um, that was more of a college thing. Now I'm just trying to run and bike when I can, which I, okay. I do enjoy. Plugging, by the way, MS150 coming up. Dear friends who know me and follow me on Facebook, please donate. Mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> I've done the MS150. I'm staring at Melissa. Yes. Actually, what I have to do is I <laughs> finally sent my parents an email because they've ignored the Facebook post three times now. It's like, Mom, Dad, <laughs> donate. Yeah, I so, uh, I have done the MS150. I, I've been pressing this year because Target has a team, and the runner, the person who runs the team, knows the friend of mine who has MS. Okay, she's like, it. I gave her your name. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I will donate. I will donate. All right, question number three. Mm-hmm. All right, so Paul, you get to make your own personal pleasure dome. This is like your pleasure palace, your ultimate nerd cave. Wow. What would be in it? A very nice bar. Mm-hmm. A very nice place to watch movies. Space mm-hmm. for a full pool table, preferably a snooker table. Ooh, Ooh. good choice. Um, well, I, I actually have a snooker cue. I, I'm crap, <laughs> but I do have a snooker cue. Um, Is there a snooker table in Minnesota? Oh. <laughs> Is there one? I'm so sad. <laughs> Uh, yes. At least when I was at the U of M, there was. I've played snooker okay. in the basement of Kaufman Union. They had a really full every table. time. Every time you say snooker, I think great googly moogly. <laughs> great googly moogly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Snooker is snooker. I've only played it a couple times. Last time I played it, I, I was in the weird position of being dead last, and then I ran the table <laughs> through sheer luck. And for those nice. who don't understand snooker, snooker is on a table that's larger than a billiards table. Mm-hmm. 
with smaller balls and smaller pockets, and the pockets are curved at the corners. They're not 45-degree angles like a regular pool table. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot. You can't just bounce it in as easily. Mm-hmm. It's it's a tough game. It's a beast. Yeah. Yeah. And that, therefore, a snooker cue means a cue with a smaller tip because of the smaller ball. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, that would be the be the, the start of it. Uh, going on, and then, of course, an excellent kitchen because my wife and I like to cook, so. Yeah, you guys are fantastic cooks, by the um, way. And you're a fantastic I mixologist. Did, this I, gin I, is amazing. <laughs> I didn't bring you any bread. I'm sorry. I'm out. Currently it's all right. Fred bread. You brought gin. Mm. I, I, I like the fact that Mike has also started a sourdough star of his own and calls it Bride of Fred. <laughs> Bride of Fred? Well, I start, called my, my starter Fred. Okay. You have to name a sourdough star. It, it's P-H-R-E-A-D. Yeah. P-H-R-E-A-D. Fred. Okay. So we Got make it. Fred bread now. Fred bread. Okay. <laughs> what What... <laughs> What was the start of Fred Bread anyway? Um, I'm into fermentation. Okay. Well, yes, I knew that. Not just making a beer, though. I've gone overboard, thanks to Mike. Um, so Wendy got me the book of fermentation. I'm linking on the author's name, but he's like the god of fermentation. This is the this book covers all sorts of fermentation, including the no, you do not get to make fish sauce in the house. That has been stated because <laughs> um, he goes into how to do that in your basement. Okay. That's like no, that'd be that'd be divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, uh, sourdough is basically Michael Pollan talking about, and then this book on fermentation, so how to actually start it spontaneously. And then I've been doing fermenting uh, vegetables because I have an issue eating certain raw vegetables. Okay, but if you break them down with acid, mm-hmm. and then discovering you can do that with just straight fermentation, which is you basically like put your cauliflower in a brine, let's sit out on your counter for several days, and it starts to do interesting things. Oh, yeah. And just the whole harnessing of microbes fascinates me. And making beer and, and such. If you were a serial killer, you'd be terrifying. What? <laughs> that is true. That is true. But, like, I kind of feel like at least if you were a cannibal serial killer, I'd be eaten in an interesting manner. You should, you should oh, have seen, it would be delicious. You didn't make it to the Christmas party. You should have seen Whitney and Eric's reaction when I hand them this book and explain to them, it's just all controlled rot. <laughs> well, and it is. Like, and they're like, what? I'm like, well, that's all this is, is yeah. you're controlling rot. And, and it fascinates me that humans figured this out hundreds of years ago, how to do this, mm-hmm. just through sheer experimentation, you know, because Jesus fermentation, all this is fermentation. It's just like, it's just controlling rot. And Well, yeah. I mean, while well, the whole thing behind alcohol was making yeah. water safe to drink. Exactly. So <laughs> By intoxicating ourselves. Yay. Yay. There, there is a uh, self-intoxication disease. It's very rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those people who, rare people who have it, can't eat carbohydrates like bread. Right. Because, because it the, ferments in their bloodstream. Yeah. The, the one case I ran across was the guy basically was on such an intense set of antibiotics. It took everything out of his system. So the yeast populated first. Mm-hmm. So you'd eat bread and then you'd get like a 0.03 or something alcohol. Yes. Because <laughs> he walked in the emergency room tipsy and they're like, oh, he must be an alcoholic. And they were checking him for stuff. And they're like, nope, you're doing this on your own in your gut. <laughs> <laughs> your gut is a still. It's amazing. So basically they, they strained out his, his systems and he's fine now, but it always looks like, yeah, it's because they wiped everything else out accidentally. <laughs> your blood is ever clear right now. <laughs> but, it sounds fun in theory, but... But it's yeah, not. But it's not. We still need question four, Melissa. Which oh, is, please give us a... Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome recommendation. What is something that you have discovered recently that has given you joy? It could be, it doesn't have to be a movie. It could be anything. It could be a book. Mm. It could be a website. It could be anything. I'm going it, to. It could be a vegetable. We have had vegetables We've recommended had vegetables. in the past. I, I, because, because it just finished its season, which has me very sad, and I have to wait till this fall. 
I'm going to recommend an anime series. Okay. Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans. It is the latest issue of Gundam. It is a Gundam alternative universe, which I guess happens in Gundam. I'm not a big Gundam fan person. Okay. But I started watching this one on Crunchyroll, which gets it a week after it airs in Japan. This is why I now have to wait till the fall. <laughs> if you want to see an anime series that the Japanese... like it, it was the first Gundam to get back into an afternoon Sunday slot, and then shocked of everybody in Japan when our 13-year-old main character point blank shoots somebody in cold blood because it's dealing with child soldiers. Oh. oh. Okay. The Gundam, this is a great version of Gundam. Why do these people know how to control mobile suits when they're, they're all teenagers? Because they're child soldiers. They've been mercenarily employed by this organization, recruited age eight, and are all boys. And now we go from them getting rid of their controllers, as it were, due to a battle with our corrupt earth people and saying yes we'll get this diplomat to earth and the rest of it is how do they get this diplomat to earth as their first legitimate job under their own control but dealing with what's a funeral i guess we should have one of those for some of our dead comrades after this battle and dealing with yeah. stuff like that that's like it has all the standard anime tropes but then there's this kind of weird thing going through it because it's all no we're actually going to deal with the fact that these are kids and these are kids who are killing people and dying and this is all they've known. So some uh, Neon Genesis yeah. Evangelion sort yeah, of level and, stuff. Yeah, sort of level stuff. Yeah. But, um, but she kind of caught Japan off guard because this is airing Sunday afternoon kids slot. <laughs> and episode one or two, it's like, bam! <laughs> like, oh! Ooh! ooh yeah. Um, mm. and, even our, and our season even ends with this same kid who's struggling, like, not sure if he has emotions or not, who's our main pilot, and dealing with Having just once again killed somebody in cold blood, and is like, oh, what's the next assignment? Okay, so yeah, Gundam Iron Blooded Orphans. It's, it's some standard tropes, a little bit normal in some ways, and a little bit twisted in others. Ah, all right, yeah, all right. So that is our segue. His question is our segue into our recommendations. Yes, this what, week, are, Melissa. what are our what are our recommend? Wow, this is gin. <laughs> Um, <laughs> here's what you do. Well, here's what you do. What are our recommendations? What are our recommendations, Wendy? What is, what is your recommendation? Um, I am going to go for a movie this week mm. because I just saw Midnight Special, which mm. is ah. Jeff Nichols' most recent. Oh, oh, uh, oh, oh. It's so good. Like for serious. It's, do tell. It does it does things that I love okay. in that it doesn't tell you, it doesn't even try to explain certain things, mm -hmm. which I love because there it just turns into techno babble so often, right? It's just you're you're saying it so to reassure the audience that there must be a reason, except that if you know weird shit really was happening, you wouldn't have a reason, you wouldn't know why. Um, there's a, it's a very quiet and slow film, which for me, the way that played out is it just kept ratcheting up the tension. I kept finding myself literally with my hands clenched, leaning forward, like just during scenes where they're sitting around and I'm just like, what? Mm -hmm. It also, the way it's constructed, you are dropped in the middle of it and you are, you're just having to like pick up the pieces of what is happening. What is going on? Figure it out. Small clues here and there. 
So, and it's got Michael Shannon, it's got Kirsten Dunst, Mm -hmm. it's got Joel Edgerton, who I believe much more as a Texas state trooper than I do as Ramsey's King of Egypt, FYI. (laughs) Um, And I have not gotten to see any of his other films, even though I have wanted to, I just keep missing and they keep not being available when I think of them and have time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like... I do. I do give it a thumbs up. I really enjoyed it. Excellent. I'm, I'm very. I'm very glad to to hear that, because um, branching off of that, then my recommendation is going to be take shelter, because <laughs> I know I have dropped that hint before on this podcast. I don't think I've actually made it a recommendation. Take shelter is one of Jeff Nichols's 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 Jeff Nichols Jeff Jeff Nichols previous films with Michael Shannon. And it is an amazing film where Michael Shannon plays this man who keeps seeing visions of these apocalyptic storms. He keeps seeing these giant thunderstorms on the horizon and nobody else sees them. And it's an entire movie that plays with, is he actually seeing premonitions of something that's going to happen? Or is he mentally unstable and we're not sure but it the movie is very tightly wound around his character so it's very invested in him as a person so you can kind of take it both ways if you're very interested in the mental illness angle it's it's a very interesting story about somebody who's trying to deal with the fact that they're they're trying to come to terms with the fact that they're seeing things that that are not there and yet he's terrified and he's trying to protect his family. <laughs> so it's it, it's a fascinating movie. It 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 really is. And Michael Shannon is amazing to watch in it. So I great yeah, film. I really like he has done some other roles where he's been the villain or something else, but mm-hmm. it was nice to see him in a role like this where he is really fascinating, like uh, he's such he's somebody who vibrates mm-hmm. like he has he is always tense on screen so it's just interesting to watch him in a much more protagonist role mm-hmm. but st- where he but he still has that that um energy that slightly uh wound up quality yeah, yeah. michael shannon is i think one of our most underappreciated actors yeah he, he's interesting yeah and when he gets the chance to play the everyman role it's it's wonderful. His his talent is amazing. So, uh, track down, take shelter, um, and you know apparently, uh, Midnight Special is also a thing to see. So oh, and Yay. Midnight Special also has Adam Driver, who is Kylo Ren, and oh, what yeah. I really loved is getting to see him in a vastly different role. <laughs> oh yes, so soon after The Force Awakens, I understand he's done other things like a TV show, whatever. Yeah, yeah. but this is going to be something where. Much more likely, people are going to be like me and be like, "I didn't watch that show. I don't have. I don't know who he is." And watching his performance in Midnight Special, that I like this guy. Mm-hmm. I like him. Mm-hmm. There, there is a quality to him that is very. He has a stillness Ooh. that is surprising after watching how unhinged he got with <laughs> Kylo Ren. Well, so yeah. Well, even when watching him in The Force Awakens, you could tell he had some chops behind him. Oh, He's. Yeah. He's a talented actor. Did you see the recent article as to the one of the cutscenes from Force Awakens as to how evil is Kylo Ren? 
No. no. Um, it got cut, and the person who wrote the article says, says, I think it got cut for a good reason. It wasn't. It would have revealed too much too soon. Okay. But there's a, in one of the interrogation scenes, he puts his helmet down on this, what looks like ashes. Mm-hmm. Remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. When he takes it off, uh, when he's interrogating yeah, the, the cut scene, uh, Yeah, the Ray. cut scene earlier in the movie tells you where those ashes are from. Oh. It's oh. Our, everybody Kylo's killed. He likes to save them. Oh. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that, yeah. The oh, is like, it makes sense to have cut it because that way we build up into his... Yeah, you don't want to reveal too much about it how reveal, it came. It comes too much in the beginning of the film. He, he agrees, so he's like, "Yeah, the cut makes sense because it reveals too much early on of what this guy is." Yeah. So it, more we build into him, like not only is he the the er emo goth kid. Uh, well, yeah, but, well, but like, you're not gonna you're not gonna buy that he might actually turn good with with exactly um, yeah, with Han if you've already seen that he's a cold-blooded murderer right yeah. exactly but that's what those are that's that's the explanation of that pile of ashes it's just like he likes Dang. to say he likes Ooh. to save the kill Oof. then uh, Herzog interviews Kylo Ren <laughs> <laughs> oh I'd pay money <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about the absurdity of life Kylo <laughs> Thank you, listeners, for joining us for another episode of Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome as we talked about the inimitable Errol Morris. Look, I got inimitable out, but I had to stumble over Morris. That was delightful. Morris. Morris. Yeah. So I have been one of your co-hosts, Wendy, joined, as always, by the incomparable Melissa. Melissa. Yes. And our special guest this time, Paul. The guy in the hat. Yay. Which I didn't bring. Thank you, Paul. I have to do the reference. Yay. 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 I appreciate it. We will talk to you next week, listeners. Thanks. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Our theme song was written by Tim Wick and Jeffrey Brown and recorded and mastered by Chad Dutton. New episodes arrive every Thursday. You can find us on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can also visit us at xanaducinema.com, follow us on Twitter at Xanadu Cinema, and like us on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I only have a set amount of hours until I get married. How do I fit it in somewhere? I, I need to watch this right now. <laughs> okay, while the marriage ceremony is going on, I'll hold up the iPad while it's playing. Okay, awesome. So you can split time between Fess and Romance and Errol Morrison's Errol Morris Spoofs. Okay, so excellent. He'll, Fess will understand him. Oh, he will. He better. <laughs> <laughs> She's multitasking. Trust us. <laughs> this is important, Fess. Hold on. <laughs>